Please listen carefully. And now, live from the Arboretum in McKinney, Texas, it's the Assuming Positions Podcast, with two hosts who are frantically trying to figure out the logistics of a unicycle built for two, Kevin and Mikey. Hey everybody, welcome to the Assuming Positions Podcast. Kevin over here. And Mikey over here. And today on the podcast, we are doing the reboodle to go with our reassumption. Ocean's Eleven, 2001. It's a reassumption. Reboodle. That's it. We reassumed the original 1960 Ocean's Eleven with a rat pack. <laughs> Frank and, Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. And I think I halfway liked it and put anchovies on it. Yep. And then I forget what you... Half a pizza with not too many toppings. Yeah, we both gave it half pizzas? I think I so. Think? Something like that. <laughs> We're so bad about knowing what we rated stuff. It's hilarious to it's me. It's arbitrary. It's fun. It's arbitrary. It's loose. I hope everyone likes it. We always joke that if Rotten Tomatoes actually listened to us, they'd be so confused. They'd be like, I don't really know what this is. If, if Rotten Tomatoes got involved, we have to go back and redo our entire system. Be yeah. like, your pizza system is all out of whack. We were like, we didn't know. I wouldn't redo it. <laughs> I'd say figure it out. There's ice cream sandwiches on one of these. Just go with it. Figure it out. So... This is the reboot, I guess. Remake. What? What's the difference between a reboot and a remake, Mikey? Uh, being pedantic. <laughs> I think that's all that matters. Because like this is a. It's not a. I, well, if we have to argue it here, it's not a reboot because other than like the name Danny Ocean, there aren't too many similarities between 2001 and 1960. Danny Ocean, and it's a heist. And it's a heist in Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. So. I would say remake in that case, just because there's more liberties and it's a little bit looser. Mm -hmm. I think reboot, they're trying to hit like beats that people are expecting. But Mm. again, pedantic. Interesting. Though there are, I did notice, and we can talk about it as we kind of roll through Mm -hmm. talking about the film in general. I did notice there's some like Easter eggs that point back that I would have never noticed if we hadn't just watched 1960. That's true. It, it, because it was fresh on my mind, I did make note of a couple things. I okay, wonder cool. how much we te- uh, teamed up on them. Fun, fun. So what is 2001's Ocean Eleven? I found a neat little synopsis. Go for it. It's like one sentence, and I just love how it's written. So the, I stole it. The elevator pitch. I love it. Director Steven Soderbergh's jazzy, too-cool-for-school comedy thriller finds ex-con George Clooney putting together a crew made up of the likes of Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, and Don Cheadle to roll three Las Vegas casinos owned by the man, Andy Garcia, who has taken his ex-wife, Julia Roberts. Short and sweet. Gets all the bullet points. That's perfect. Mm. (laughs) Oh, but that hints at the cast. So, like, one of the comments we made about the original, 1960, was that it was like a who's who. Like, it was the Rat Pack. It's Mm -hmm. like you're coming to see these people be in a movie about whatever. I'd imagine it's the same thing. Uh, This one's a little bit more exciting to me, but this is like they had to lower everybody's budget because there's so many famous people in here Mm -hmm. just to make the budget for the movie. But like you're saying, we got George Clooney, Julia Roberts, Andy Garcia, Don Cheadle, Bernie Mac. Oh, so many great players. Yes. So the 11 in this are George Clooney, Bernie Mac, Brad Pitt, Elliot Gould, Casey Affleck, Scott Kahn, Eddie Jeminson, Don Cheadle, Shelbo Kinn. Carl Reiner and Matt Damon. That's the 11. That's it. And then, of course, Andy Garcia and Julia Roberts are in it as the, listed as others. <laughs> and then 
And then there's like a billion cameos in yep. this. That's it. Especially Las Vegas peoples. But that is the tie-in to the old one. Like, it is the same sort of setup. We're going to knock over a casino. They scaled down. Instead of five casinos, it's now three. Technically mm-hmm. one because the two other casinos feed into the main one. Yeah, yeah. But it's Terry Benedict's Bellagio vault, the craziest vault ever designed by man. It's got more security than a nuclear silo. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It does. It's so silly. That's it. It's so complex, you can build an exact replica of it in like a matter of days with 11 people. Which apparently, this is all like internet trivia, but apparently they, much like the 1960, gave them access to the casinos because they were all hanging out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Steven Soderbergh and his friends had enough pull that they actually did film in the Bellagio and had like access to their hallways and stuff. I don't know if that, I mean, the security things are probably not, you know, Mm -hmm. those are all movie magic, but even still, I mean, it's all fleshed out. Wow. Yeah, that's one of the striking things. And we mentioned it when we were talking about the original Ocean's Eleven is how Vegas back then was literally a strip and a few casinos. Yep. And then the insides of them look so like chintzy. It looked like... Almost rinky-dink. Rinky-dink, yeah. And then, of course, this is, I guess, the Vegas we know in our generation where everything's big and shiny and huge yep. rooms and it's loud and you know ding 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 you know it's, and there's so much less smoking <laughs> <laughs> not as much scotch well but a whole bunch more eating but uh, uh there is one shot like the the wide shot of Vegas and I think this was intentional by Soderbergh to be like it's still the quiet Vegas you know cuz it really makes it look like one big strip but really we know what Vegas is now yeah <laughs> This time we get George Clooney as Danny Ocean, and we get the perfect intro to him because Frank Sinatra was just, people said, oh, he, he was had jobs in the past and he was part of the army. We get none of this in the new movie. There's barely any, like, background. I love <laughs> There's it. no background. No background, but you pick it up as you go along. And with the first scene, we see Danny coming out of prison. They're like, okay, you're up for parole. Are you going to rob again? He's like, probably not. It's like, what was the problem last time? He's like, well, my wife left me and I was really upset. So I started running a bunch of jobs and I got sloppy and got caught. And they're like, are you going to rob again? He's like, I won't get caught again. But it sets up <laughs> it sets up Danny Ocean as an actual like confidence man, like mm-hmm. in one scene. And he's charming and he's a fate. Like he's in prison. He shouldn't be that suave and smooth, but <laughs> he is. So George Clooney is Danny Ocean. Oh, I love that introduction. It's interesting. In this one, this Danny Ocean has a criminal record, as do most of the heist members. Yes. Part of the plot of the original one is that none of them had criminal records. That's how they're going to get away with it. That's true. That they had learned how to do all this stuff in the military. I think that I kind of prefer the original how it was set up. Okay. I kind of missed that. I was like, okay, you're just doing, it's like standard heist movie stuff. Yeah. It's pretty standard. I didn't really. I'm. Let me first off say I'd never seen this before. This is your first time watching my the new first, one. My first time watching the new. Oh, okay. And I was like, oh, are they gonna be like? Because I'm like, this is 2001. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, they're gonna be like Iraq War veterans who like went in and like stole Saddam's gold or something. Three you know, Kings style. That was yeah, an Three old, Kings yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was Clooney too, right? Exactly. Yeah. See? Would have made perfect sense. But I think that would have been appropriate and wouldn't have changed anything, really, to throw that in there. I get it. For the original, it is the common backstory. It's yeah. It's an easy in for how all these guys know each other and get along. And that's what I'm saying. They don't ever explain how these guys know each other in this one. 
they don't explain it, but you still get a sense for it just in the way they interact. Like, as soon as Brad Pitt meets up with George Clooney, just the way they interact, you're like, oh, these are longtime buds. Yeah, I get that. That's the power of Brad Pitt and George Clooney anyway. Very true. But with a lot of the rest of them, it just seems like they were just like, well, this guy's a good grease man, and this guy's a good whatever those <laughs> the terms they use. Yep. I don't know. I just think it would have been neat if they kept that part. It wouldn't, have, wouldn't even changed anything, really, just to throw that in there. I get it. Again, it's- I miss this. Now this is sort of peaceful now. <laughs> We got all these skills we can use in peacetime from the original. No, I get it. But when Danny and Rusty are sitting there having their conversation about like, okay, we got to put together a team. They start listing off names. They both know these names, mm-hmm. which gives you the immediate in that either they've worked jobs with these people or whatever. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then they have the old timey slang for the jobs they're going to pull. Like Brad Pitt, when he's listening off, he's like, okay, we're going to need at least a Boski, a Jim Brown, a Miss Daisy, two Jethro's, a Leon Spinks, and the biggest Ella Fitzgerald you've ever seen. Like... What does that mean? I don't know. Does that mean anything? It doesn't mean anything. But because he's listing it off, like they, they both know what they're talking about. You're like, okay, this isn't their first rodeo. There is some history there. We're not going to get it. But the charisma between the two, I, I buy into it. Mm, yeah, I agree with that part for sure. But before he even meets with Brad Pitt's rusty character, he has to find him. <laughs> yep. And he goes to see, which this is the highlight of the movie. Really? To me. Okay. Just this character. Yes. He goes to see Bernie Mac's character. Yes. And as soon as I saw Bernie Mac, I went, ah, oh, Bernie Mac. One of the best. One of the best. He's not scared of any of us. <laughs> He's blessed. <laughs> Big <laughs> <But>, boned. <laughs> it's great to see Bernie Mac. I miss him so much. I hate that he's gone. Absolutely. But you can see him in stuff like this, and it's delightful. Absolutely. And just the interaction with... I mean, you got Bernie Mac. He's just—he's known for stand-up comedy. Then he was doing the Bernie Mac show. So he has that pedigree of comedian into sitcom. Mm-hmm. But then it's a pretty big jump to be going up against George Clooney. Oh, with his ensemble. a heavy-hitting movie star. But they have plenty of scenes to... Well, that main big scene, just the two of them together. Mm-hmm. And he's right there with them. That's it. And I noticed that of all of the people other than Brad Pitt... And Matt Damon. Yes. Bernie Mac, really, the, he gets used a lot, which oh, is for sure. smart Yes, on Sodenberg's part. Mm-hmm. We get the initial, you know, <laughs> just the look he gives him when he calls him his real name instead of Ramon. Yeah, he's like, what's up, Frank? He's like, sir, my name is Ramon. <laughs> just the look he gives him like. Mm-hmm. And how cool he's suave is. He's like, you can't bug me here, but I hear Caesars is pretty popping around yeah. 1, 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's our meetup time. Get get out of here before you blow my cover. That was neat because that was in Atlantic City. Yes. Which I've been to Atlantic City. Have you ever been to Atlantic City? I have. Yeah. And AC. As soon as I saw it, I knew. <laughs> they did, but they Before they put the little thing at the bottom that said Atlantic City, Yep. I was like, oh, that's Atlantic City. You can kind of tell. It was like, yes. is this Vegas? No, it's not quite as fancy. It must be Atlantic City. It's funny because it's kind of like in between 1960 Vegas and 2001 Vegas. <laughs> yep. I guess Atlantic City is probably like 1980 Vegas. And frozen in that time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> But we get Bernie Mac there. We get the great scene with Bernie Mac buying the vans. Oh, where he's doing the, the they brought back the machismo from the 1960s version. And it's mm-hmm. real subtle. It's a handshake deal. 
but Bernie Mac is holding on to that handshake for an extra long time, and he's crushing that dude's yeah, he's hand. He's crushing that dude's hand because he couldn't get the deal that he wanted. He's like, he's like, your hands are so soft. He's like, what kind of lotion? He goes, you must use lotion. He's like, I, you know, he's just talking so nice and normally, but my my sister uses cocoa butter. But I found that it's a little too greasy. And, and you're wondering what's going on, right? Because yeah. he's just sitting there holding the guy's hand, talking about stuff. And the guy's face is, he's like, oh, God. Oh. And then they do that great shot where they show his hand getting pulled away and his hand's all crinkled up and red. Oh. After being like, yeah, I can get you two vans in cash. Is that okay? He's like, yeah, that's good. And I like your tips about moisturizer. Thank you for such an awesome <laughs> service agreement. I love you, Barney oh, Mac. So smooth. I know. It was great. And then Bernie Mac scene with Matt Damon. Oh, that I was going to, if we're jumping around, that's yeah, the highlight. Yeah, we're jumping around, okay. man. Him and Matt Damon, that's the highlight. I know. That's my favorite Bernie Mac scene, just because we, like, we, again, to, we're comparing them because it's the, you know, reassumption rebuttal, but there are some racist elements to the 1960s uh-huh. version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the anchovies that I put on that pizza. Exactly. And I guarantee you, Soderbergh is aware of those and he's playing with them. And we get to see one of it in this Bernie Mac scene with mm-hmm. Matt Damon because Bernie Mac starts being in the character and he starts playing the race card. Mm-hmm. But it's all part of the con and he does it so yeah, smoothly. Yeah. He's like, oh, you want me to smile at you? It's oh, yeah. like, what? No, it's great. He starts playing the race card, and part of the con that is that the Matt Damon is racist. Yep. Or the character he's playing, whatever you want to call it. Yep. I don't know what they call them when you're being a con man and you're not whoever. They must have a name for it, for the character you're being. Exactly. Like, that's your Patsy or that's your uh, yeah, yeah, persona. I yeah, I don't even know. I bet you they have a cool word for it. But they play off each other so well. And it's hard, like, I mean, Matt Damon's a huge movie star, but I buy him as, like, the nebbish newbie on the team that's like, oh, this is my chance to come up and work with the pros. Yeah. Because my dad. Young Matt Damon. Yes. Oh, they're all young. It's weird. Like, you wouldn't think 2001 was that long ago, but even George Clooney is young and dashing in this Mm -hmm. one. After our initial meeting with Bernie Mac, we do get to meet Rusty for the first time. Absolutely, and Please. we see, we see him eating as he's always doing always in every scene. Always eating. First of all, Brad Pitt has that his his hairstyle. Yes, is not in style anymore, but was super in style then. That kind of like spike push forward spike that they were doing. <laughs> the the you could call it the in uh, sync or the Backstreet Boy. So, yeah, I don't know the boy yeah. band haircut. For yeah, sure. it was definitely that's it. It was a boy band haircut. But yeah, man, Brad Pitt is known. For eating in his movies. Yes. It's a thing. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, though, it seemed like he just turned it up to 11. <laughs> I mean, it was every scene he was in. Everyone. That's it. I can't think of maybe when they were like SWAT guys or whatever, like when his hands were full. Yeah, when he's a SWAT guy <laughs> and when he has to play the doctor, is I think the only time he couldn't get away with having food. But if he's having a meeting or if they're, you know, having the powwow, he has he has shrimp, he has pretzels, he has lollipops. What did you think of the what did you think of how we met Rusty, though, and the whole like meta like he's teaching young Hollywood starlets how to play poker? Oh, that's hilarious. But before we talk about that, mm-hmm. I looked it up as of 2020. Brad Pitt has been in at least 86 movies. Wow. OK. And in 60 of them, he's eating. That's a smart move. You're getting I mean. If you're uh, just in the meta-ness of it, if you're an actor sitting around on set all day, they have catering, but I'm sure you get hungry. Like, you're not eating normal meals because you're not on a normal schedule. So 
he's working it in so he gets to eat while he works. That's smart. It's really crazy. It's this has been studied and talked about. Okay. He, no, <laughs> I he, love it. He says that he's he he's been asked about it. He says that he's naturally a grazer anyway. Oh, okay. He never like sits down for a meal really ever. There you go. And apparently, like this is studied in film school, dude. It's crazy. <laughs> he basically says that it's almost a, a, a crutch for him in a lot of ways because he doesn't know what to do with his hands. That makes sense. So he just kind of started using that as a technique. There you go. But some other people think that there's a method to his madness. And because Brad Pitt is so handsome and stellar, like movie star, that ah. it makes he's unrelatable. Getcha. So when he's eating... You eat too, Mikey. Yeah. He's eating just like us. He kind of eats like a slob. I can relate to him now. That, that's smart. It hey, makes if him that, relatable. If, that, if that's intentional, that's super smart. He claims it's not intentional. But but as far as like the actor in a scene, like normally they're chewing the scenery by walking around or making expressions, but if he's doing that through food, thumbs up for me. That, that's, a, that's an awesome choice. It's hilarious. But yes, we meet Rusty, and he's teaching all these young people Teen, what Teen Beat was it? This? The Young Hollywood Elite, yeah, yeah, Teen Beat for sure. How to play poker, and I wrote down the list because it's very interesting to me. Because this, what was this? Twenty years ago? Yes, yes, twenty years ago, twenty-one years ago, really. Dun dun. Young stars sometimes don't have staying power. Sometimes they do. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna look at this little <laughs> list here and see. I recognized all of them because I was aware and around then. We we are of their generation, yeah. at least some overlap for sure. Now here's the list. We have Holly Marie Combs, the lovely Holly Marie Combs that I remember from that wasn't it like they witches? Wasn't she one of the witches? Charmed with Alyssa Milano, yeah, and Shannon Doherty, who and then they replaced her with Shannon Doherty. They replaced her with uh, Rose McGowan. Rose McGowan. Yeah, um, there you go. Charmed on the CW. <laughs> then we had uh, Joshua Jackson. Wasn't he from I don't want to wait for the rest of <laughs> Pacey Dawson, we're having relationship troubles. Yes. Dawson's Creek. Dawson's Creek. Barry Watson. That was a unknown for me. I don't know who Barry Watson is. He was on one of those like religious shows. Seventh Heaven? One Tree Hill, Seventh Heaven, no. something like that. Shane West? Nope. No idea. He looks like a Josh Dumel, though. Like he has that face. So But one of them has staying power. True. And that is Topher Grace. From that 70s show. From that 70s show. But he's also done so much stuff since that 70s show. That's true. And even done stuff behind the camera. And I would say out of the five, Topher Grace is the winner. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And that seems to be why he's the lead at the table is my guess. I just got to give one point to my boy Josh Jackson. He was in that the sci-fi show Fringe. He sort of had a resurgence. That's what I give props for. It, but yeah, Good for him. But he's still not Topher Grace. It's so funny. They're just... Being LA like jerks though, like yeah. it's just showing up and be like, we don't know how to play cards, but this could be a tax write off if you can pay us in a check. Oh, okay, I'll pay you in cash. Sorry, teach us how to play poker so we're cool. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then Clooney shows up and just like takes him, but takes him with the help of Rusty. And yes. this is what I'm saying ties into like you get a sense of their relationship just in the small interactions that they have. Because mm-hmm. Brad Pitt makes it a teaching lesson. He's like, now don't let him get too high. He might be bluffing. He he knows what Danny O's. Is doing. He's like, I'm setting this up for my best friend. Hopefully, he's going to spike it, and they spike it together. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, it was a great introduction. Really, all the introductions, one of the things I liked about this movie mm-hmm. more than the other one, yes, that I guess maybe because of the lack of that throwaway backstory that, like, we're all in the 
Army together. The yeah. end. The end. Uh, they do all these intro montages. Yes. For all of them, right? Pretty much. No, they don't do it for like the Ellie Gould character, and, and they don't do it for the heavier hitter characters. Yeah. But for the rest of them, they pretty much do. It's a. It's a almost. There's a couple montages in this movie, and that's one of them yeah. for sure. I love a montage. <laughs> I prefer a training montage to an introduction montage, but I don't mind the introduction montage as long as it's followed by the heist montage, which we also get. So. Yeah. But I'm with you. Fan of montages mm-hmm. on this podcast. <laughs> Montage fantages. What was your favorite of the intro montages? There's two for me. I, I like the Elliot Gould, like you mentioned. He's replacing our uh, the Acebos, the the financier from the original movie. Elliot Gould is so great. Oh, what's funny is I only know him from Friends. I know he's like a classic. Really? That's, oh, that's my main so, exposure. He's been so much stuff. He was a big hitter in the se- heavy hitter in the seventies. Yep. He's been in so many things. I think hmm, I don't want to say anything bad about someone if I don't. No, I could swear he was he's one of the the difficult people. Uh, Just because he's old school, I can see that's that. That's what I think. Yeah, because he's method or whatever. But also, I don't really care how he is because every time I see him in anything, he's awesome. Yes, including Friends. And this is great. It's just so funny. Just the he's in like a robe and like got all his chains on. It's the it's the perfect. They often say that some people will like arrest their development gotcha. in the time that they were the coolest. Mm-hmm. And this guy was obviously the coolest in like 1977 with his big glasses. And yeah. His, yeah. <laughs> and they sucker him into it, too. He He's actually the in my mind, the more legitimate financier is like, you guys want to knock over three of the biggest casinos ever? You're idiots. Get out of my house. Yeah. Let me tell you why that won't work with three montages. Yeah. Oh, oh what a, oh, the three Vegas robberies that almost happened. Mm-hmm. What a great little beat to it, which sets up like, yeah, they did it back in 1960, but here's the truth of Vegas. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And you get it in a quick little bit. And he's like, you can't do it. Get out of my house. But wait, why are you robbing those casinos? And they're like, Terry Benedict, Andy Garcia. And they're like, that's my mortal enemy. I'm in now. <laughs> but not before he gives off his excellent dialogue. Is like, now, Terry Benedict, you got to remember. I love this because we... There's maybe like four scenes with Terry Benedict in it, mm-hmm. Andy Garcia. Mm-hmm. He's probably the least in this movie, aside from Julia yeah. Roberts. But we get the backstory from everybody else. Because Ruben, uh, Elliot Gould, is like, he used to be a civilized guy. You hit somebody, they'd whack you. And and the business. <laughs> Terry Benedict, on the other hand, first he'll kill you, and then he'll go to work on you. And you're like, this is so, like, he is stuck in that time of old school Vegas mm-hmm. and pulls it off perfectly. For me, though, the introductions I love the best are the Malloy brothers, mm-hmm. Scott Kahn and Casey Affleck. Mm-hmm. The brother rivalry through the whole thing is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, just the fact that the opening scene where they're racing an actual monster truck versus an RC monster truck. <laughs> he's like, just just go, just go, no, just go, you go, no, you go. It's like, I'm, if you don't go, I'm going to get out of this car and drop you like third period French. Just go. <laughs> and then he runs over the RC car and makes his brother sad. Wonderful. <laughs> They they steal every scene they're in for me. And then uh, Saul, Carl Reiner. Yes. Another of the Hollywood oh heavy gosh. hitters. Carl Reiner is so great in this. Yep. I love the setup that he's like, he's the one guy that's like, I'm too old for this. Mm-hmm. I had my one last job. Don't make, don't get me involved. I got a duplex now. It's got mm-hmm. wall-to-wall carpet. I'm dating a nice lady that works the unmentionables counter at Macy's. <laughs> I got ulcers. I can't do this. But he's oh he's the boss. He plays the whale in Vegas. Mm-hmm. I just love that whole arc. It's a great trope. It is. Carl Reiner is a legend. But we get montages for everybody. There's Don Cheadle. There's Livingston Dill. There's uh, the Amazing Yin. 
I mean, <laughs> they go through everybody. The amazing yin when they're sitting there watching. Which one is he? Little, little Chinese guy. And George Clooney gives him that look. Yeah. Like he wants to say something they might have said in the 1960s uh-huh. movie, but he just leaves it as a beat. <laughs> What's interesting, I didn't know this until I was doing research after the fact, that guy was an actual, like, part of an acrobat troupe. And they went and saw a show and hired him from that troupe. Mm. And he thought, like, he was sort of thinking about becoming a stuntman after doing this movie. But he's like, no, nah, I like being an acrobat. And so did this movie and then bounced. And this is his, really his only movie credit. Oh, he w- wow. He went back to being an acrobat. That's crazy. That was fun. See you later. <laughs> they do give him one of the best. He only has one English line in this movie. And it is the one F-bomb that makes it a PG-13 as opposed to a PG movie. <laughs> but it's the best. Oh, I love it. Where you guys been? <laughs> Did you catch the MASH reference when they were bringing up Eddie Jemison as Livingston Dell? What? He, he's got the, they introduce him. He's the electronics like, yeah, yeah, yeah. surveillance expert. And he's all neurotic, which mm-hmm. is, I love that trope. Like the guy that's into sensitive information, but can't sit still because he's vibrating. Mm-hmm. But he's dressed like Radar from yeah. MASH. And then one of the officers that he's working with, he's like, hey, Radio Shack, chill out. Radio Shack, I know. <laughs> it's just like, ooh, wink, wink, I get it. Wait, wasn't Elliot Gould in the movie version of MASH? He was? Oh, yeah. It um, all ties together. It all ties together. Don Cheadle is Basher. Do you know about the whole controversy? I know about the whole like credit uncredited thing, but that's oh, as far what? as it goes. What are you saying? Oh, wait, You go on. first. There's two. Oh, there's two things? What were you going to say? I was going to say, well, first of all, we get a nice little introduction of him, like, blowing up the vault door. Yeah. And then getting caught. Yep. And then Rusty showing up and acting like he's the feds. <laughs> and then blowing up one of the police cars to distract it so they can get his escape. But he's like a MacGyver because Brad Pitt's like, what can you do with this? And we don't ever see it, but he hands him, like, I guess, gum and, like, C4. Uh-huh. And he's like, yeah, we're good to go. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> but apparently Don Cheadle is doing a horrible accent, and it's known as Mockney. Ah, that makes sense. By most people from Great Britain. Mm -hmm. We hear it, and we're like, yeah. Oh, he's British. And he does that whole part where he's doing that rhyming Cockney slang, where he's like, Barney Rubble. People are like, what? Barney Rubble rhymes with trouble? We're in trouble. That is a thing. (laughs) But apparently, I guess people who know Cockney are from their, their, like, worst accent since... Mary Poppins. Oh, Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke, yeah. <laughs> Jim Jiminy, Jim Jiminy. No, I, I, I can understand that because they did seem to try and go over the top with like his dialogue and the things that he was saying. It's like any British sort of ism or slang we can throw in there, let's put it in there because he says like leave it out. He says the Barney Rebel Trouble stuff and it's like, okay, it's a, it's a little heavy handed. But seems, he seems like he's having fun. It seemed fine to me. But what were you saying about a credited thing? What He's actually not credited for this movie. What are you talking about? Don Cheadle doesn't have a credit in this movie because apparently, I'd support this, he, was, he wanted to be what's called above the line credited, which is the names that go before the movie title mm-hmm. on the poster and in the credits. But they, ref, they refused and fought back, so he's like, all right, just take my name off the whole thing. They since resolved it because he's in the sequels, but it's just a weird tidbit that Don Cheadle is not actually credited for being in this movie, even though he does a wonderful job. Oh, weird. (laughs) A little bit of trivia. In the credits, it doesn't say anything? Uh, he's not on the poster, and he's not on the like names on the DVD cover. Mm. I didn't actually check like the rolling credits Mm. at the end, but I would. it, it might not be there. Weird. Yep. 
Oh, but he's the demo expert. One of my favorite scenes with him, I know we're talking about introductions, but jumping yeah, around, like, right. he's the demo expert, and there's a scene in this where they're, Terry Benedict, the bad guy that owns all the casinos, he's taken over Vegas, and he's doing renovations, so he's demoing other properties. And so they blow up a building halfway through this movie, mm-hmm. and Don Cheadle being the, like, explosions expert is watching it on TV, and it's happening right behind him. I know. Be like, turn around, dummy. I know. That was, <laughs> yeah. He was busy building bombs. But then he gets that pinch, the EMP. Oh, so cool. Mm-hmm. He seems like he's having a lot of fun, but that's that's the thing I like about this movie over the older one is that we get the montage, we get all our intros, and bing, bang, boom, we're done in 30 minutes, and we're on to the meeting at Ruben's house, and, like, here's the plan. Like, mm-hmm. get right to it. That was my main complaint about the old one is that an hour into the movie, it's like, okay, now we're just meeting everybody. They go a little bit quicker with this one. One thing that is a difference that I think is in the older movie's favor Okay is that even though it did drag and they could have done it quicker Mm -hmm. for sure, I think a lot of those guys had probably because they had to give them better motivation. I think a lot of them, not all of them, because they didn't go over every single guy's issue, but some of them had better motivation than these guys' motivation is just like, we're crooks when we pull heists. And we're going to get an eight-figure payout. The end. The original had like, the guy who's going to die, so he wants money for his kid. There you go. Uh, the guy whose wife is a stripper, and he d- wants to get her off the stage. <laughs> yep. The guy I, that I wants to get po- into politics. I would say pole, yep. but they didn't use that back then. <laughs> <laughs> and was it were those the only two real ones? So Sammy Davis Jr. was basically like, hey, I'm a black man in America in the 60s. Yep, very much. <laughs> No, you're right. Like, the relationship, like, the reason the whole team comes together for this one is that, one, these guys are the best at their jobs, respectively, but also, like, either they have previous experience with George Clooney's Danny Ocean, or it's just that the, it's the payout. Pick one of the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. But that's the only difference. But, yeah, we have the very similar meeting to go over the heist. Yep. Which a much better presentation in this one. <laughs> they actually have like a TV that's hooked up to a computer. It's a 3D map of yeah. what they're doing. That's the only reason I brought it up because like it, this is way beyond <laughs> just an eight and a half by eleven of like here are these casinos and here are the power lines. Yeah. All right, on to, on the pool table. Hey, this is a this is a placemat I grabbed from one of the restaurants at the Sahara. It shows where all the places are and go. the power lines and the road. But I do like this because it's another montage. They go through all, like, they show us how they're setting up the job. Mm -hmm, Not only do we get the introduction for everybody, we get to see the next montage is everybody's part in it, you know, transport, information, surveillance, security, recon, all that Mm -hmm. stuff. But it's like a magic trick. Have you seen the movie The Prestige with Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale? Yes. So the thing I pull from that that reminds me of this is that they talk about a magic trick happens in three parts. Yeah, yeah. You got the pledge. That's the premise. You're setting it up Mm -hmm. like they do in this movie. We're knocking over three casinos in one night. Then you've got the turn, which is this montage, which they're showing how you set it up. And it's like, oh, here's the dove and here's all the things I'm going to use. And then they have the prestige, which is the reveal. And they do that in this movie. Like you think you're you're getting all the information in this early montage, Mm -hmm. but it still has twists at the end. Yeah, yeah. I just I love that setup and payoff. But yeah, they're knocking over the most secure vault ever. It's crazy. It's at this meeting we get. One of the first Easter eggs I noticed. Okay. It was the amazing Yen. Yes. Was building a house of cards. Oh, that's right. They were doing that in the old one. Yeah. He's building his on like a diving board, though. He built it on a diving board and it stayed up successfully. <laughs> they had joke. It was a joke in the other one that that guy kept trying to build it and it kept getting knocked down. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Foreshadowing. There you go. Mm-hmm. I like it. 
I do also like the beat between Ruben and he goes up to Matt Damon. He's like, oh, you're, you're, you're Bobby's kid. Oh, you're here for the job. Way to come up to the team. Because he's he- hesitating because mm-hmm. George Clooney gives this whole speech like, here's your chance to back out. If you don't want to back out, come into the meeting. Yeah. And so Matt Damon's hanging back and Ruben's like, get in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> like, I know he said you could back out. Nobody's backing out. Get in there. Also, the next part, the part you're talking about, the montage of the stuff that they're doing, the setup. Yep. There's a balloon scene in it <laughs> with the two brothers again. So, did you? That's like to me because they do a wipe with the balloons. Oh, remember I mentioned that. That is right. In the first movie, that that's a deep Easter egg. But I'm totally, I totally support that. Yeah. When I saw it, I was like, ah, balloon wipe. I was totally distracted by uh, Scott Con and Casey Affleck being yeah. like, "What are you doing, buddy?" He's like, "I'm not your buddy, pal." It's like, "I'm not your pal, guy. Get out of my face." <laughs> but no, balloons. That's on theme. That's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. It is also during this montage where we get the reveal because there was a funny beat between Rusty and Danny. He's like, why are we doing this job? Speaking to what's the motivation? We really only yeah, get yeah. it between Danny and Rusty. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and Danny gives this whole speech. He's like, you know how the house always wins until you get that perfect hand? Then you got to go all in and you take it oh, from the yeah. house. And he's like, did you practice that? He's like, yeah, a little bit. It wasn't rushed. <laughs> this movie has so many like subtle jokes in it. It's real good. But... That was the premise for why this job is going off. Mm-hmm. But in all their reconnaissance and their security and all that stuff, uh, Rusty finds out that, oh, Julia Roberts is here. It's Danny's ex-wife. Uh-huh. And I think this is the reason it's all going down. Because she's dating... Terry Benedict, Andy the casino Gar- owner. Yeah, Andy Garcia, the casino owner. Yeah, it's funny, too, because Rusty sees it, he knows it, and then confronts Clooney about it. Yes. Or Danny, sorry. I keep <laughs> saying the... When you got these movie stars, yeah. it's hard to separate them from characters sometimes. It's Danny Clooney, George Ocean, I believe it. <laughs> oh, wait, no. Uh, and, of course, he's like, no, that's not what it is. Of course not. And Rusty's like, yeah, it is what it is. I know you too well, buddy. <laughs> but then we get, this is a, like the Bernie Mac, Matt Damon scene I love. Uh, this rivals it for one of my favorite scenes in this movie is the dinner conversation between Tess, who is Danny's ex-wife, mm-hmm. and Danny himself. Because like they're trying to distract Andy Garcia and he's off, but Danny's like, "I'll take this moment to go visit my ex-wife and give her the the what's what." Mm-hmm. It's going back to Frank Sinatra and his wife. Yeah, they're yeah. both strong personalities. Mm-hmm. You totally buy why they used to be in love, and you totally buy why they're fighting now. Mm-hmm. And it's such a great conversation. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm a thief and a liar, but I only lied about one of those. Like it's uh-huh. just it's old timey dialogue, and it's real strong. I love that scene. Just it's charisma for this whole movie, but specifically between the two of them, it's really good. Yeah, for sure. the The writers of this movie are very skilled at the the quips, and it's got a lot of the fun. I don't know if I want to call it snark because snark seems mean because it's not it's supposed to be snarky, but yep. I guess quips, one liners, there you go, uh, things like that that are a lot stronger than the original one because the original one was so improv <laughs> Yeah. Because of One Take Frank, no. It was One Take Frank. When I was comparing and contrasting these two films, mm-hmm. I kind of came across some of the history of both of them. And what we said about the original Ocean's Eleven was really true. It was an excuse for Frank Sinatra to hang out with his buddies in Vegas. I believe it. And apparently that movie, it's kind of amazing that it came out as well as it did, because that movie was secondary to what else they were doing in Vegas. Ah. Vegas was more about them doing those stage shows. Oh, for sure. The Rat Pack stage shows. And then apparently they would just shoot the film 
for like three or four hours during the day. And <laughs> it's like a side hustle. As a side hustle, yeah. And the director just had to put up with it because that's what Frank set the schedule. Frank was the one. That's It is where a lot of the one-take Frank stuff came from. I believe it. Where he was like, that's good. Let's move on. And apparently, as opposed to this movie where the it's got a nice tight script where the with quips and everyone's having fun and delivering them well because they're good movie stars and they know how to do it. Apparently, the poor writer of the original one was like, they didn't do anything of what I just said to do. <laughs> but I guess we got to go with it because yeah. we only get one take. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that does make sense. And I, I guess that's why I would give more points to the new one because it is so a little bit more level of craft to it. Intentional. Yeah. Yeah. But also, it kind of makes me love the old one a little <laughs> bit because the fact that it like was even able to be a semi-cohesive story. Oh, absolutely. They yeah. still made a movie out of it. <laughs> like, were they doing... Was Frank Sinatra doing Curb Your Enthusiasm before Curb Your Enthusiasm? Oh, probably. <laughs> I don't know what the whiskey intake between the two, but the, the, the improv is there for sure. <laughs> That's the main thing that sells this new version to me is, yes, it's like there's the dialogue is written and it's a little bit more scripted. And as far as the heist goes, like it's so expertly done and it has twists and turns in it. And even though they spell it all out for you, they're still surprised in there. You're like, holy crap, this is an actual heist. It, you're just having fun watching the characters be characters. Mm -hmm. Like watching Saul be the big Russian whale. The, the I am Lyman Verga. <laughs> I am a European of some mysterious descent that deals with arms in some mysterious way, <laughs> but you believe it. Like, that stuff, even Don Cheadle and his accent, amazing Yen being the acrobat, I love it all. And as as much, you mentioned as, as little as Andy Garcia is in this. Yes. To me, he made a really big impact every time he was on screen. Oh, for sure. You could feel the menace. You could feel the danger that this guy was not to be messed with. You could feel the... Deep mafia connections, <laughs> which is funny, too, because this movie, like the other movie, how we were talking about how it kind of winks at you like, yes, mafia. Yeah. Part of this, both of them do it without saying it. That's they it. just give you like a, yeah. It's like Andy Garcia. You know all those movies you know him from? Yeah. They're all mob movies. That, <laughs> that's intentional. That, that was on purpose. We get to see him being the boss and he is very menacing. You're right. It's a good time. I don't buy his relationship with Julia Roberts. That's where I tap out. I'm like, how did they get together? Yeah, like, it's that's that whole part is really strange to me. That was a weird disconnect. I guess because he's into art. I guess so. As an asset, and she runs an art gallery, and that's how they met. But it seems like what? Yeah, you're right. What does Andy Garcia's character there? What does he have to offer other than like glitz and glamour and a nice lifestyle? And she does not seem like the person who would care about that. Nope. She's Danny Ocean's ex-wife. She's up for adventure and heists. Yeah. I think it's like, I mean, this is working backwards from the reveal at the end, but like Andy Garcia gets tricked into picking money over Tess. Mm -hmm. Like that's the, the whole reason Tess goes back to Danny Ocean. So maybe it's just that Andy Garcia likes the best things in life, whether it's art, women, money, casinos, power, like that kind of thing. I don't know. Well, no, I mean, I get that part, but why is she putting up with it, like you said? Because he's buying her art pieces? I don't know. She's the museum curator. She wants a different life. Maybe this is more, he's on the up and up. He's not oh. a con man. Oh, wait a minute. Now that you just said that, is it 
that he's hired her to run a museum? Is that what it is? There's a, a scene or two in there. Like that's her job, and then they're in. They're looking at some painting, like as for one of the scenes of them interacting. So I think that's part of the relationship. Still though, that's your boss. I don't know. You're you're <laughs> you're right. There is a there's definitely a disconnect between the way that character is portrayed and what that character is doing. Absolutely. Yeah. But that just makes you love George Clooney even more because it's like that's the guy you should be with. Is it though? I think so. I want to be with George Clooney. He's so smooth in this movie. Uh, but like the old one, uh, this heist pretty much goes off without a hitch. There is one hitch that Don Cheadle has to fix by going to get an EMP that they steal from the California Institute of Advanced Science. It's like, what? It's such a little sidetrack in this movie, but makes for a good beat. What was with the whole thing where Matt Damon's guy, Linus? His name's Linus. That's the weirdest name to give Matt Damon as a character. It just does not fit. It fits It fits the role he's trying to play, but it does not fit Matt Damon. I'm with you. I mean, can we think up of another nebbish name that would be better for Matt Damon? Like Clancy. Clancy. <laughs> Timmy. Tobias. Tobias. <laughs> mm. A Toby? A Topher. To- Toby. <laughs> I'm thinking of Topher Grace from earlier. Yeah. <laughs> I could see a Toby. It's like, hey, Toby, go pickpocket that guy. He's like, okay. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> But anyway, the whole point of leaving him behind is because Clooney knew he wouldn't stay behind so that he could get him in trouble for not staying behind. So he could trick him into taking a different role. I think that it's actually more telling than that. So like with the EMP heist, mm-hmm. he yeah. he wants him to stay behind because he's wet behind the ears. Like, you don't need to be involved in this. Yeah. Just stay here. But he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so I think George Clooney recognizes that and then uses it against him later because Linus is the one following and finds out the whole test thing. But that's when Rusty and Danny team up to be like, we know you were following us. We use that against you. Like, we knew you weren't going to do what you're told. So I think it's one pays off to explain the second one. Well, yeah, I know. But okay. it's like Danny knew that was going to happen the whole time, which almost led to them getting nipped. Which is crazy to me. He said he says it at the end. He's like, I know what I was doing the whole time. Like, that's Danny Ocean. He knows what he's doing from his parole meeting at the beginning of this movie. <laughs> I, I don't know. I had my qualms with Frank Sinatra. I don't have those qualms with George Clooney. Yeah, okay. There's a lot of Hollywood fantasy and magic in this movie. Like, that EMP bomb, the, the pinch. Yes. They don't work like that, man. Nope. But they do, not to that level, but they do exist. I know. But not enough to take out Vegas. No. But it's, I mean, like... You know what takes out Vegas? <laughs> C4. C4 to, uh, on the towers. <laughs> I knew you were going to say it, because, like, if, if you buy into that one from 1960, you have to buy into this one. I'm no, sorry. I don't. Yes, you do. It's no, the I same don't. principle. It's like, oh, here's this switch we can flick to make our whole plan go right. C4 on the towers is going to mess stuff up. An EMP is going to take everything out. Yeah, but I don't think they should have done C4 on the towers. Uh, Vegas in this day and age would That's have way too more. too many towers, I know. Uh, well, no, like, they just have more backups. Like, yeah, there's no generators in Vegas in 2001. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're, that's incorrect. You're right. So I'm with you. But it does, the, like, I guess that's, an, it, I mean, there aren't, like I said, there aren't too many similarities between the old and the new, but this is one of them. I mean, it's all a power outage. Yeah, the, the power outage. Instead of New Year's Day, it's a, it's fight night. Which is where we get some of the cameos. Yes. See those people? Yeah. The Fight Night cameos were, I believe, it's Lennox Lewis versus Vladimir Klitschko. Yes. And I was looking around for Joe Rogan and I didn't see him. <laughs> A little bit before his time. But that would have been funny. I know. I know. 
And if Joe Rogan was on this podcast with us right now, first of all, it'd be way more popular. There you go. And second of all, he'd talk about how what great fighters those guys are for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> and also say how that fight never happened. It was all movie magic. <laughs> but we, we get to see a pre-horrible incident, Siegfried and Roy. Siegfried and Roy. <laughs> We get to see Wayne Newton. Wayne the, Newton. The, the Vegas Duncan staple. Sheen. But then we get to see OG Ocean's Eleven members. Yeah, Henry Silva was there. Angie Dickinson was there. They both appeared in the original film. I'm kind of sad they didn't give them at least one line. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's a passing shot, which is a shame, but it was cool to see them be like, oh, having just watched the old one, I was like, I know those people. I'm surprised they didn't get more of them. I mean, there's 11 to choose from. They weren't all dead. I think most of the Rat Pack wasn't around then. I think that was the main thing, is that most of the Rat Pack by this time has sadly passed away. Yeah, but I think that maybe I'm wrong. Maybe only two left. Oh, my gosh. You're, you're tapping into something we don't know. Yeah. No, but it was good to see the, the, the old, like, that was another Easter egg I had noted. It's like, oh, they brought in the OG people. It was great. I wonder if anyone younger than you would watch this movie and even know who any of those people were. That I mean, that's the subtleness of it is that the only reason I noticed is because we just watched the old one recently. You know, had I not watched the old one recently, I like they don't even make a moment out of the scene. No, no, it. no. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Because Siegfried and Roy are just two weird looking dudes. <laughs> if you don't know who they I mean, but around that time, they were well known yep. by everyone. And then when the incident with Manticore happened <laughs> like a year or two later, it wasn't very much longer that's after true. this movie. It was national headlines. That's true. So for those of you who don't know, one of the guys, I forget if it was Siegfried or Roy, sorry. I believe it's Roy. Got attacked by his... They were magicians who did stuff with live tigers and lions. Performers, magicians, Vegas yeah. showmen. Yeah. They were a staple. They were a staple of Vegas. Yeah. They had their own theater. They were very well known. There you go. And there was an incident that happened where a tiger named Metacore, I believe he was one of the white tigers, yep. decided that he had enough of Roy and basically went for the kill shot. Yeah. Such and, a shame. And he didn't kill him, but he came close. And I think that's the last that was they performed. That was the last time they performed. So, whew. But Manticore was a, uh, the internet really wasn't memeing as hard as it is now. That's true. But in the zeitgeist and just in the just walking around the office, <laughs> yeah, the, you were school or wherever you were, Manticore meant something to people. <laughs> Part of the water cooler lexicon mm-hmm, for sure. Mm-hmm. I've seen Tiger King. I know what happens. You shouldn't have animals that big in captivity. I mean, no. it's only a matter of time. Yeah, but I think their argument tragic. was is that they had a lot of the white ones. Oh, gotcha. And those guys, those guys can't live properly in the wild. So it was more conservation. I guess, but you are kind of exploiting them. Why don't you just build an awesome giant habitat where they're protected? Why not just knock over the Bellagio and make $150 million (laughs) and make your scratch that way? Uh, Yeah, so we get a whole montage of the heist going down. They they go back. They show you the heist as they laid it out, and everything goes to plan, but then they they have the reveal, which is that there's a little twist to how they pulled off the end of it. Because you think it's going to go wrong. Like mm-hmm. Yen, uh, the amazing Yen gets his hand stuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think, oh, no, he's in trouble. Mm-hmm. But that all works out. But the audience is now in Terry Benedict's shoes. Terry Benedict's like, how do you think you're going to get out of here with my money? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the whole fake plan. Clooney saw Tess one last time yep. and slipped a cell phone. <laughs> with antenna. Of, That's almost dated. flip open cell phone. <laughs> I mean, it, it was great. They're leaving 
the fight because yes. the lights went off for just a little bit, mm-hmm. and then the generators kicked back in. But it was enough to make chaos. Mm-hmm. And people jumping on tables and diving for chips. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Andy Garcia and Julie Roberts were like, let's get out of here. What was weird is that he didn't have any security with him, but whatever. It's his place. I guess he knows the way out. Probably. <laughs> it was weird. Everyone was running in the other direction and they're like, they're like walking out by themselves. Anyway, Julie Roberts' pocket starts ringing and he's like, your phone's ringing. She's like, I don't have a phone. That was, a one, that was one thing that made me go, oh, this isn't now. Who doesn't have a phone? Oh, that's true. <laughs> She's like, I don't have a phone. I just took it as a rich lady that doesn't need, you know, doesn't want anything in her pockets. But no, everybody has are, their phone. People in 2001, some people didn't have cell phones. That's true. So it's funny. It's of its time. But anyway, so there's a phone in her pocket. She answers it, and it's Rusty's on the other end. Yep. It's like, let me talk to Terry. Terry's a perfect name for the nebbish Matt Damon character. They should have switched it. They should have switched it. It could have been Linus Benedict, the yeah. owner of the Bellagio. <laughs> That's bad, too. <laughs> but no, they confront him. Rusty calls up. He's like, hey, you're being robbed. Like, that's a baller move. That's that's con men one at, like, just high level. Yeah, and so they go into, the, what is it, the eye in the sky is what they call that room. Yep. The room that has all the uh, cameras in it. And then he just basically... We get a montage and a breakdown. This is what I did to you. That's it. But it's not what you think I did because we actually did something else that mm-hmm. not even the audience knows about it. Yeah. I love it. It's it's too complicated to go into. You just got to kind of watch it. Yeah. It does have one big giant plot hole in it. Uh, let's see if it's the same as my plot hole. What's yours? It's the ads. The flyers. The flyers. The that flyers, are, yeah. are the fake money. Okay. Yeah. They never really showed how the bags got in there with the flyers in it. That's true. And even Soderbergh says it's a plot hole. That ties in with mine. We don't see how the Flyers got in there. And, like, we know that the SWAT team gets the money out. Mm -hmm. But we never see a shot. Like, we see, we never see the SWAT team actually taking the bags out of the vault. And they never explain, like, if you see SWAT teams holding bags of money, like, that's not SWAT team protocol. Like, somebody would have been like, that's weird. But Uh they sort of just glance over it and be like, yeah, this is how it works. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, but it's so cool. They dressed up as the SWAT team. They had it all planned out. They even showed you the little air freshener early in the movie to let you know that they had the SWAT team van all along. It's like, oh, it was all planned. <laughs> but this is where we get the crux of the movie because uh, Danny was doing it for Tess and he, like, another little plot hole, like, why is there CCTV footage in a hotel room at this place? But they're like, hey, Julia Roberts, go watch TV in your hotel room. Well, they hacked it through. The guy, ha- the hacker guy. Oh, okay, I missed that hacked part. It through. Yeah. I thought she was just like turning on a channel. No, and no, no. Go, okay, that makes way more sense. Yeah. But he she put it on that channel. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. All planned out. That's, see? Not a, that's not a plot hole. Fair enough. I, I correct my stint. That was after Clooney was getting beat up by his, his buddy. <laughs> the bruiser. Bruiser. Who's all soft and sweet. Mm-hmm. He's like, my wife's pregnant again. I'm sorry I punched you too early. <laughs> that was so funny. He's like, hey. You're supposed to wait to do that, bruiser. But that's just like they never explain that character, but no. you buy that they have a relationship. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. <laughs> but I do like the twist. Danny gets like Danny is in this for the money. He's a con man, but he's also in this for Tess. That was the whole secret all along. And he puts that as part of the plan. And he has Andy Garcia actually confront like on the, the closed circuit television. He's like, if you had the choice, would you pick money or Tess? And he's like, oh, I'd pick money. It's like, ah, oh, you dummy. I gotcha. <laughs> And it's also, they hinted at that earlier because Rusty says the same thing. He says, hey, if this job goes south and you have to pick between Tess and the money, what do you pick? And George Clooney, in his confidence, says it's not going to come down to that because he already knows he's going to set up Andy Garcia. Mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm. so smart. 
Speaking of Tess. Yes. Julia Roberts. Yeah. America's sister or America's aunt? Or does it, is it how old you are? Oh, that's, that's a, a, I, in my mind, she's like a Cindy Crawford. She's just an American staple. America's sweetheart. America's sweetheart. Yeah. Okay. Cause for me, Julia Roberts, see, I, I was kind of like thinking of like the relation thing. Cause you know how some people say like Tom Hanks has become America's dad yep. in a lot of ways. There you go. But Julia Roberts, you're right. Julia Roberts has always been around, mm-hmm. but it's weird because I like her. But I also kind of am like, okay, I get it. And it's not a bad thing at all. It's not bad. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I know a lot of people love her, think she's the best, are in love with her, have wild fantasies and stuff. (laughs) But to me, she's like a sister. I get it. Like, hey, sometimes I like you and sometimes I can't stand you, but I still love you. (laughs) I don't know if that makes any sense at all. 100%. No, I'm totally with you. But that's how I feel about Julia Roberts. I'm totally with you. I think she gets the, like, the... The sexual appeal scandalness because she started out with Pretty, Pretty Woman. Woman. Yeah. That, that was her big hit. Everybody knows her from that. Not even her body on the poster, though. That's it. But They photoshopped her head on top. But I think she's been so consistent and sustaining in her career that she has gotten to that Tom Hanks level where Tom Hanks is now the everyman. Mm-hmm. Love him or hate him, you're going to have an okay time watching a Tom Hanks movie. Julia Roberts, love her or hate her, think of her as your sister, as your aunt, you're still <laughs> going to have a good time. Yeah. So I'm with you. That's that's what <laughs> I'll take Julia Roberts as a crazy aunt. <laughs> See, I don't think she's crazy though. She wouldn't be the crazy aunt. No, she's got that laugh, and she she's got that 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 she can. I, I haven't seen her in any crazy movies, but I'm pretty sure she could pull it off. Sandra Bullock's your crazy aunt. There you, you go. Know that. Now, <laughs> did, were they ever in a movie together? Oh, I have so much research. <laughs> but this is it. The job goes well. They get their money. Andy Garcia gets his just desserts. Danny gets his tests. This is the major difference for me between the old one and the new one. Yeah. Because, like, the old one was like, oh, everything went south. Sorry, guys. Walk down the street. Everything, well, everything went to plan until their buddy's, their buddy's coffin full of the money and their buddy got cremated. The worst timed heart attack yeah. in a movie ever. The end. And that's the thing. Carl Reiner has, like, a fake heart attack in this one, which I guess is uh, Maybe that's homage. another Easter egg. I think it is. Oh. Yeah. But that's all planned. Yeah, but it's all planned. And they trick you, too, by making you think something is actually wrong with him because he has to keep taking... But he just has, like, a... He's like got ulcers. Ulcers or something. Also, he's Carl Rayner, and he's good at everything he does. Yeah. But he must have... I'm thinking... They don't explain anything. And I, I know a lot of people have watched this movie over and over again. But it seems to me that they show him, like, take some kind of pill. And I think that pill is the thing that makes him get all sweaty and... Probably. You know... Help sell the yeah. the bit. Yeah. I'm with you. So, yeah, that is the major difference. But I'll tell you what, though. I know you didn't like it. I think it's because you're positive. But I kind of <laughs> I kind of actually like the darker ending better. Okay. Because essentially guess, they are bad guys. I they, think, shouldn't, they shouldn't get away with it. Yeah. But. I think it kind of says something about our society, too, <laughs> in these two different times. It was like, yeah, you can be slick, but, you know, the chickens always come home to roost. There you go. As they say. The universe will always respond. Yeah, the universe is always going to respond. And this one is just like, yeah, aren't we awesome? Yeah, we're awesome. Yeah, he does have to do three to six months because, yeah, whatever. That's not his first stint. Probably won't be his last <laughs> Yeah, right? Yeah. And then he comes out of prison and Rusty's there eating a hamburger <laughs> or something. 
I like the, but there. See again though, the writing is so the quippy lines, the dialogue. Where he said T- Ted Nugent wants his shirt back. Yeah, very funny. And then he gets in the car, and even Tess is like, uh, "We need to get rusty a woman." And George Clooney's like, "There's a woman's prison down the road. It's like an hour <laughs> away." It's like, oh, hilarious. And then they're being followed by Andy Garcia's two heavies, the big old twin guys. If they were twins or guys, just look like I couldn't really tell. I know that's just Hollywood standard for setting up the sequel. Yep. But I do like that it gives it the the horror movie twist where, yes, everything went perfectly and they're all getting away. But oops, wait, there's one last beat. Yes, to set up the sequel, but mm-hmm. one last beat to let you know, oh, maybe it's not all roses and, and, and rainbows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You said you had an Easter egg list. Did we get them all? I think we got them all. We got the cameos. Oh, one I didn't talk about was that it's early in the movie, and it kind of happens with the cell phone at the end, but Danny Ocean being out on parole goes to a payphone. Mm-hmm. And to me, maybe this is just recency bias, but it seems like that was a callback to the phone pranks they used to play because he calls his parole officer, and his parole officer is like, you're not going out of state, are you? And he's sitting in Vegas. He's like, no. <laughs> he's like, you're not drinking or doing anything. He's like, no, I'm being good. But then he goes and gambles and yeah. meets up with Rusty. So right. I think that was one of the callbacks to the like the, the phone hijinks oh, that yeah. went on in the original. Pay phone. <laughs> there was no handkerchief over Remember the end, though, thing. and he didn't change his voice. So maybe not. Did you know that Soderbergh doesn't like these movies? I'm not surprised by it because I know Soderbergh does the make one for Hollywood, make one for himself sort of career path. There's a book called Not Hollywood Independent Film at the Twilight of the American Dream. Okay. By Sherry B. Ortner. Okay. And in it, Soderbergh is quoted, For me, Oceans makes no sense. (laughs) It was the hardest thing I ever did. It's a movie about absolutely nothing. I found it just brain crushing. He goes on to say, Interesting. About two weeks into it, I was feeling like, I want to do a little girl movie. I just... Need to wash this out of my system. That makes sense. I mean... And then he made a sequel. (laughs) He made two sequels. I know. But I think he's always been that way as far as if you look at his career. Like, he's a big name. Like, they'll bring in him to do the deliver on the Hollywood big blockbuster. But they also give him the leeway to do his little weird movies. Like, you Mm -hmm. can just check that out on IMDb. But you're dealing with 11, Ocean's 11. You're dealing with 11... Huge Hollywood celebrities. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that'd be a little bit tiresome or difficult. Yeah, in some regard. But all oh, this movie is so easy breezy. I just found that interesting. Absolutely, because it doesn't come across on the screen. Not at all. Yeah, it's all charisma and cool and mm-hmm. suave, and that's it. One thing I didn't mention is that the soundtrack was very hearkening back to the original movie. Absolutely, it was all jazz and. That kind of era of music. But also like Cowboy Bebop-ish in a way that like the tone of the jazz fit whatever tension they were going mm-hmm. for. Like smooth jazz when it's easy going, but then like, you know, when the montages are happening, it's sort of high tension mm-hmm. and you're like, ooh, high energy. Dun, 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 dun. And then a yeah. little less conversation by Elvis. What a great Vegas song oh, yeah. to put on there. It's great. Oh, Elvis in Vegas. <laughs> Claire de Lune with the Bellagio fountain at the end. Ooh, music is is subtle but top notch as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Seems like we're the time where the pizza is here and we have to rate it. That's it. Mikey? <laughs> Ocean's Eleven. You gave the original one, you think? I, I, I gave it four? either four with two toppings or five plain. That's right. Yeah. It was weebling between the two. Uh, this one is easy. This is for me, and I know this is this is personal and arbitrary, but I've seen this movie more than five times. 
It's eight slices, whatever your favorite oh. topping is. Do double topping, extra cheese, get the dipping sauce, invite wow. your friends over to share. You don't have to think about this movie. It's it's two hours of just you're watching a heist in Vegas and fancy Hollywood people have fancy Hollywood fun. Mm-hmm. I, I greatly enjoy this movie. Oh, oh well, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> I've said love so many times in this podcast. This was the first time I saw this movie. There you go. And I thought it was fine. But I just thought it was fine. That's fine. The plot was, it was like Soderbergh said, it's not really about anything. <laughs> but there were great performances. I like seeing Bernie Mac again. Yes. I love Carl Reiner's performance and Elliot Gould and just in general. It was a, It's a decent watch mm-hmm. for sure. This is a reassumption rebootal, so you do have to kind of compare it to the other one. There you go. I think I gave the last one either four or five with anchovies. Yep. I remember anchovies. about right. This one, I seriously, I don't know if I like this one any more or less. That's valid. But I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm going to go ahead and give it five slices, but I'm going to make it supreme because of all the performances on it. There you go. Just for Bernie Mac alone. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, I'm glad I saw it. I think I'll watch the sequels, but I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. <laughs> Fair enough. One thing that's interesting about our ratings, I think all all ratings, really, yep. is that... Stuff can change over time depending on what your mood is and how you're feeling about Hollywood movies versus independent movies versus things like that. For so, sure. This is a very Hollywood movie. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and it hits a lot of those Hollywood buttons. So good on it. <laughs> but I liked it. Mikey loves it. I do. Uh, and we want to know what you think about Ocean's Eleven 2001 and Ocean's Eleven 1960. We want to know what you think about both of them. You can hit us up on all our social medias at Pod. That's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Instagram mostly because pictures are fun. Super fun. You can also Gmail us, assumingpositions at gmail.com. Every week I say, hey, Mikey, how do you want the Gmail formatted? I want you to be a con man and type out an email and then slip it into my pocket when I'm walking to a big event in Vegas. It's like, you should read your email. I'm like, I don't have an email. It's like, oh, there's an email. <laughs> Turns out I've been robbed for $150 million. But they also love this movie. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, so definitely like, subscribe, and go find us out there. If you just put Assuming Positions in Google, tell your friends, hey, man, just put Assuming Positions podcast in Google, and you can find them. That's it. Uh, give us all the thumbs. Give us all the stars. Tell everyone you know about it. We really do appreciate you. We also want to thank that guy, Brad, for announcing Not Scott Productions for our equipment, Jazzar for our music, and we hope you guys have a jazzy, heisty, super cool week. Crazy cool, Daddy O. Ocean Eleven. Bam, 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 bam.